The following program is paid for and presented by Skybridge Media, LLC. Hi, I'm Gary Kaminsky. Welcome to Wall Street Week, the show of record for long-term investing. Kyle Bass and Ricky Sandler are part of the new class of Wall Street Titans. They take big risks, but create big rewards. And I'm Anthony Scaramucci. Today, we're going to learn more from our market-moving money managers with new commentary from Kyle Bass on emerging markets and what it takes to make a great investor. This show has never been solely about investments. We've talked about anything that affected people and their money. From Times Square in New York City, the new Wall Street Week. There are many paths to Wall Street. For Ricky Sandler, it was about deferring his acceptance to law school. For Kyle Bass, it was about dropping out of a pre-med program. Both share with us now that aha moment and how it led to their careers. I want to take you back to your uh, your upbringing. So you were born in Miami, but you got raised in Texas? That's right. When did your family move to Texas? In 1980, I was in Miami about 10 years. And so you went to uh, public high school? Where'd you go to school? I did. I went to pu public grade school. I left there, I think, probably fourth grade. Uh, and then da in Dallas and Arlington, uh, I went to um, public high school. And where'd you end up going to college? Texas Christian. What was your first job coming out of Texas Christian? Working at uh, Prudential Base Securities. I went into their uh, global training program uh, for uh, retail FAs and um, spent about two and a half years there and then uh, left to go to Bear Stearns shortly thereafter. How'd you make the transition from doing all that to Heyman Capital? My goal was to build a certain nest egg or net worth uh, over time running these Wall Street firms until I could have enough capital to invest a giant portion of my net worth and also have enough capital to live on until um, things worked worked out. Something I always planned on, I just uh, had to get to a certain day and I got to that day in uh, kind of December 2005. Who were some of the people on Wall Street that you looked up at? Who were the people that you thought if I other, could be, Other than Gary Kaminsky though. Other than you. You thought to yourself, that's great success in the industry, that's where I want to get. Yeah, I was fascinated by the psychology of it all actually and I read uh, Schwager's books, you know, The Market Wizards. I read every book that Soros ever wrote uh, and since have, you know, been able to meet uh, George and, and his son and have become uh, more f uh, familiar with them. So it's been a, it's been a, a f come full circle. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You come from a family of money managers. Yes. Where'd you grow up, Ricky? I uh, grew up in uh, South Shore, Long Island, uh, in a town called Woodmere. Went to the same high school as Gary, uh, Hewitt High School, just a little bit younger than Gary. Um, you could say a lot younger. Our, <laughs> viewers, our viewers know that he's a senior citizen on the game. You can say a lot younger. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad was in the money management business. He was an analyst at Goldman Sachs, went out to start a hedge fund in 1982, one of the early hedge fund uh, uh, guys, and then my brother uh, went into the business as well. Um, you know, I'd say, I'd say uh, we, didn't, we didn't grow up uh, talking about P.E. ratios and GDP at the dinner table, a little more about the, the five towns and the, the goings on the Little League, but, um, uh, you know, it was always in my blood. I, I didn't think I wanted to go into it, and then um, after I decided to defer my law school uh, acceptance, because I talked to people who were lawyers who really didn't like what they did, um, came into the business and went to work for uh, a guy named Morris Mark, uh, and absolutely loved it from, from the minute. Okay, so let's go. Another legendary analyst and a great hedge fund manager, Morris Mark. He was an analyst at Coleman. I want you to go back a little even further, yeah. though. So you went to the University of Wisconsin. Yep. 
What'd you study there? Uh, accounting and finance, um, which I think are the two underpinnings for uh, an investment career, at least for, for analytical work and for, uh, for money management. So, so when did the bell yeah. go off and say, oh my God, I'm gonna fo follow in my dad's foot? You know, it was, it, was, it was really this moment where I, I decided uh, to uh, defer going to law school and sort of see what it was like to really work for a while. And I, I got into the business world um, and just loved it from, from the moment uh, I got in there. I, I actually uh, worked for a guy in Wisconsin named David Harrow, mm -hmm. um, who was a great friend and a mentor to me, uh, who's now a money manager at Oakmark International. Um, and he and, and, frankly, Morris Mark, frankly, shaped sort of what I've become as an investor. Rick, you talk about the beginning of Eminence Capital. You have six and a half billion under management now. Uh, you started that firm, philosophy around the firm, culture, et cetera. Yeah. Sure, so um, uh, we're in our 17th year. Um, you know, we started with an investment philosophy that I call quality value. Uh, it's owning good businesses and growing businesses, but wanting to pay a value price. And I think that goes back to the two people I mentioned before, David Harrow, kind of a classic value investor, uh, a contrarian, uh, and then Amaris Mark, who's more of a high quality business, deep research and growth investor. Um, and I kind of like the intersection of those two things. There's sometimes you could pay too much for, for a great growing business and sometimes, you know, Stocks that are cheap are cheap for a good reason. Um, and I wanted us to be not only investing in high quality businesses, but uh, an organization that had a great reputation. And so we have a pretty terrific culture at Eminence. I have great people that work for me. Um, we've got uh, our, our research team has an average tenure of about nine years, um, which in this business is, uh, is really impressive. And uh, um, I love, love going to work every day. So what motivates you now? I like to win and having uh Having any losses on your card uh, drives you even more. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Wall Street Week is sponsored in part by Hightower, an unobstructed view. Imagine a business built on the premise that delivering straightforward financial advice is the right thing to do. A firm that places investor trust at its foundation, rising above the discord of an industry compromised by conflicts of interest. Hightower is the new blueprint for financial advice. We live by the fiduciary standard, a legal pledge to put our clients' interests first. Not because fiduciary is the latest fad, but because it's what we were built to do. I used to dread getting up and going to work. I was done with the corporate grind. I was tired of being a starving artist. And I started looking around for a business that I believed in, and I kind of wanted to do something a little more green. My score mentor helped me take the first step. He helped me create a business plan and helped me implement it. They've really taught me how to think big. SCORE helped me to make the unimaginable possible all for free. I'm here because of SCORE. I'm here because of SCORE. Get your free business mentor at SCORE.org. Drive, passion, purpose, just a few of the characteristics of what makes a great investor, according to hedge fund manager Kyle Bass. Now, two of Wall Street's best, Bass and Sandler, are going to teach you about their investing philosophy. We've had a number of people come on the show uh, over the last several months talk about the difference between fundamental research and technical analysis. Mm. Um, you're a fundamental research guy. Mm -hmm. Do you think about technicals at all when you make an investment? Do you watch? the trading and in, in, in the equities, the debt, or the currencies? We do. I think uh, just like in the, in the various sell-offs that you've seen in, in some of these different asset classes, whether it be pharma, whether it be the MLPs, upstream, midstream MLPs, um, you can do all the fundamental analysis you want to do, 
uh, but you have to have views on what the future price decks are going to be. You also have to have views on uh, the behavior of the participants because uh, economics assumes that all participants are rational and we all know that uh, there aren't that many rational participants in any uh, anywhere, anywhere in the world. Yeah, uh, so what do you like to say, Anthony? Everybody's a long-term investor until they're losing money on a position. Yeah, and when yeah. they have short-term losses, yeah. they start to change their behavior, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. We, we so, always say the definition of a, of a long-term investment is a short-term trade that went bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So what motivates you now? Is it, is it money, no. intellectual exercise, a social good? Yeah, I think inel is, intellectual, it, it's intellectual growth. Um, the social good is, is, uh, has been really fun to be on the right side of. Um, and then winning, you know, I still, I, I like to win and having, uh, having any losses on your card uh, drives you even more, you know. I, I, I get that, believe me. So 10 years from now you'll be doing this? Yeah, I mean, I'll never stop, right? Okay, I just, in, in what, in, in what, uh, what context, what, what will the structure look like? Well, yeah, I don't my know. My thoughts are though that you'll be managing money. You found a profession that you're self-actualizing in and so right. you'll be managing money for years to come. For sure. What type of people make good investors in your mind? Are they? Socially inclined people, financially inclined people. I think. So. I think. Uh, I always say uh, when thinking about this and talking about it with uh, the people I admire most that the people that tend to do well over long periods of time have something that's that's innate and it's this. I call it a constancy of purpose. Uh, you know these people that get up every day and no matter what's going on in their life, no matter what's going on in the world, they get up, they work hard, they have that constancy of purpose and they don't let anything get in their way. And you and I both know many of these people. Um, and you can't teach that. And um, you can't lose that when you have it. And um, I actually think that's the no it's basically being driven. And that drive is what, what gets people um, to the finish line. I want to take you back to a value investment approach and a growth stock investment approach. So on the value side, you're, you're buying low PE names that you think are undervalued intrinsically. Yep. On the growth side, you're willing to pay up a little bit for that because you believe that the company is going to outpace itself with its earnings. Yeah. But you're saying you're at the intersection of that, which some people call growth at a reasonable price. Yes. So explain to us why you like that the most. So look, to me, growth and value are actually on the same track. Um, because a growing business can grow into a value stock. Um, and by the same token, um, a value stock may be statistically cheap today, but if the business is performing in a certain way, it may be more expensive tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, our view is that, that growth and value sort of work together, and, and as an investor in good businesses and growing businesses, um, you have the opportunity to benefit from sort of growth of intrinsic value. And so it may not be statistically cheap today, but within a reasonable period of time, it should be statistically cheap. I think that the difference, and, and what we try to take advantage of is traditional growth and value investors actually create the opportunity for us. So growth investors want to own growing, traditional growth investors want to own growing businesses. Businesses that are growing at a certain rate, growth that's accelerating, um, and they don't really care very much about the price they pay. Um, um, and so that presents an opportunity for us where stocks get overpriced um, or where we buy something that turns into a, a traditional growth stock and then they take it to a level that's beyond what we think is fair and creates an opportunity for us. And, to that, and that is what's sometimes commonly called momentum investing, just buying growth, top line revenue growth, not necessarily focusing on what that value is in terms of long-term earnings. Right, exactly. What, right. what, what, the, what the earnings power is and, and therefore what price you're really paying. On the flip side, a value investor is looking at statistically cheap um, stocks based on a, a number of, of characteristics. 
price to earnings, book value, free cash flow. Um, they tend to care less about where the business is going in three years. And so they can get tripped up on a business that I think is growing slowly or appears to be growing slowly, looks cheap, but what's happening is the difference between a business that is growing at a low single digit rate and a business that starts to decline um, is very meaningful, particularly when there's leverage involved. And so a number of our short opportunities actually come from um, what we would call value traps or businesses with secular pressure where the guy on the other side is saying this is a cheap stock. Right, so let's just explain that. So a value trap is it looks great on a fundamental basis, book value analysis, PE analysis, uh, but it's not growing enough for it to really have a stock price appreciation over or time. Or maybe it's shrinking. And right. so it looks like it's 10 times earnings today, but with a little bit of, uh, of top-line decline, some operating leverage of financial leverage, it's going to be 20 times earnings in three years. So would it be fair to say that Eminence is shorting value traps and getting long growth at a reasonable price? Um, I think we have... Or how a, would no, you say it? Um, I, I would say um, <clears throat> we own um, high-quality businesses that we think are underpriced in the market for a given reason. It could be a business that we think is going to grow more than the market thinks. It could be a business that is a growth business that's tripped and people are very focused on the short term and so we think it'll regain that. Um, or it could be a slower growing but high quality business where the market is misunderstanding some piece of it. On the short side, we tend to look for either um, a business that's going to disappoint Wall Street expectations, so this could be a high growth stock that is going to disappoint, um, or uh, a stock that faces secular pressure where um, it could appear to be cheap but it's a value trap. Um, and we also tend to short accounting related um, business shorts where we think the market is, is looking at statistical numbers that are completely false or, or aggressive. Ricky, where in general do you get your investment ideas? Where do they originate? So, you know, I think, I think on the long side, it tends to be from our guys paying attention to what's happening within their sectors. Um, it tends to be, you know, where is the... Um, where is growth occurring? Where is market share shifting? Um, which stocks within the sector might have a short-term problem but a promising long-term outlook? On the short side, um, you tend to have to go fishing a little bit deeper. Um, we do a fair amount of screens, companies where um, the accounting is, is all messed up and, and um, free cash flow and earnings are going in opposite directions. When you're investing in absolute, absolute return strategies like Eminence, it's not the relative performance. It's what the absolute return is because, as we used to always say, you can't buy groceries at a supermarket with relative performance. It's the best way to explain it, right? Yes. No, I, I, think, I think that's right. And, and I think um, investors who, who short stocks need, need to realize that um, the wind is blowing against you. And so your, your right benchmark is, is not whether you're making money, it's whether you're generating alpha. Hi, I'm Ken Lango. I'm Carl Icahn. I'm Ben Bernanke. Barry Rosenstein. Larry Summers. Jeffrey Unlock. Dick Grasso. Lizanne Saunders. David Rubenstein. Andre Agassi. Jeff Smith. Lee Cooperman. I'm Dave Petraeus. Don Drabkin. Jim Chanos. Byron Wayne. I'm watching Wall Street Week. I'm watching Wall Street Week. I watch Wall Street Week. I watch Wall Street Week. I'm watching Wall Street Week. I was a guest on the original Wall Street Week. I was on the old Wall Street Week. And I'm pleased to be on the brand new Wall Street Week. And I hope you are too. And you should too. I'm sure you will too. Sign up for the free Wall Street Week newsletter, where we recap each week in the financial markets and dive deeper into Wall Street Week's most recent episode with feature articles and investment primers. Go to WallStreetWeek.com and sign up today. Wall Street Week is sponsored in part by Coke Industries. We are Coke. Two-thirds of our planet is covered in it. So why do nearly 800 million people suffer from lack of clean water around the world? That's completely unacceptable to me. And that is why I'm working on a way to solve this global problem. 
like here in Sao Paulo, Brazil. By taking the polluted water we already have and providing technologies to filter it back into clean water. My name is Manny, Senior VP of Technology. We are Coke. Checking your fantasy league? Nah, just my 401k statement. Mm, nice. Where'd you find the money for that? I've just been saving a little every month. <laughs> I can't seem to save anything. Well, what about all this? What about the money you're spending? <laughs> what money? It's gone before I can get my hands on it. I got a pizza for a Todd. Hey, can somebody spot me? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. It's 547. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. We live in America, but we're part of a global economy. Brand new thoughts now from Kyle Bass on opportunities he sees in Argentina and the emerging market sell-off. Talked about opportunities in uh, Argentina, a country that's in obviously the midst of geopolitical change. Tell us a little about Argentina and wh what you think there now. You know, uh, the good news is, is there's new leadership in Argentina. Um, I think Macri is a, a, a pro, he's very pro-business. I think he's going to end up engaging with these um, vulture funds that have uh, held them up uh, for the last um, 10 years plus. And I think that they're going to get to some sort of settlement. Now, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, so these are hedge funds and other funds that have bought debt there and are sticking these guys in bankruptcy courts over that debt. That's right. Uh, the prior administration was resistant to dealing with them, and you believe now that President Macri will, in fact, deal with them. That's right. That's so positive of, for the debt. Of the debt that restructured, or that the, when Argentina stopped paying its debts in the early 2000s, roughly 93% of that debt exchanged into new debt. 7% of it said, um, we're not going to exchange and we're going to hold the, the, the country ransom, essentially. Mm -hmm. They're going to hold it hostage. And they want 100 cents on the dollar, plus accrued, plus penalties. And that's been the standoff between kind of the hedge fund vulture universe and the sovereign. So how do you think that reconciles? They'll come up, they'll come up to a number that's somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Uh, and once they do that, then Argentina, Argentina's been locked out of the global capital markets from a sovereign perspective for over a decade. Imagine if the U.S. couldn't sell bonds um, because we couldn't access the capital no, markets. I don't want to imagine decade. that day, Kyle. No, that will never happen, uh, I don't think. But anyway, Kyle, Argentina's it, got a, a, a much brighter future ahead of it than it has. Kyle, after 2008, um, after the correction, a lot of advisors advise clients to look to the emerging markets. What advice do you give to viewers who may own some of these assets, these emerging market brick funds, these equity funds, these uh, debt funds? Well, I think they're going to see a lot more pain before things are okay. You mentioned BRIC, right? You have Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Um, so you look at Brazil, and the scandal goes all the way to the president. Uh, the car wash scandal goes all the way to the president. And right. it is a complete disaster with corruption. Uh, and until they, until they root out all of the corruption and fix Brazil, Brazil is going to keep going south. Um, Russia, a couple of things of Putin's global chess moves and, and being sanctioned for it. Uh, then you get India as the one semi-bright spot in the BRICS, and then China, which I think is the, the big one uh, that's going to have a non-forming loan cycle. So if you're asking me which inning we're in in the, in the EM sell-off, I think we're probably in the kind of mid-fifth inning, maybe maybe entering the sixth, but we still have three tough innings to go, That's maybe really four. Important. 
when you look at opportunities as an investor right now, what's the greatest opportunity if you had to say to the viewer, we saw what was happening subprime US and this is what we see now? Given our views on credit contraction in Asia and in China in particular going through a, let's say they're gonna go through a banking loss cycle like we, like we went through in the GFC, there's one thing that's gonna happen. China's gonna have to dramatically devalue its currency. Now that's not something the readership can um, really, you can get your arms around it, but it's really tough to invest uh, as a non-professional investor, if you, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. uh, I But think that devaluation, because of its uh, interconnectivity with the rest of the world economy, is gonna also upset the world economy. It's gonna cause a slower growth dynamic for everybody. That's right, so. Well, uh, it also has implications on the US dollar. I mean, so while you can't necessarily play the China devaluation, it's, uh, in terms of the U.S. dollar, what does it mean? It means a stronger dollar. And, right, for, and, for, and for many, many years. Now. As we know, China many years ago attached their currency uh, to the dollar uh, because I, I think they hitched their wagon to our star very smartly uh, back then because our goal in the United States was to depreciate our dollar through uh, inflation. So. Right. We issue debt to the rest of the world. We depreciate our dollar. We actually uh, end up paying off, getting. Uh, you're monetizing uh, the debt. So well, we're monetizing we're the your, debt. You're at, able at, to pay at, the, the debt back at, with dollars that are worth less than the ones that you borrow. That's exactly right. And so now, uh, the real problem is China has hitched their wagon to our star, and their currency has effectively appreciated about 60% versus the rest of the world since 2005. So they're, they're going to let it go. And, and the it's US what's dollar, killing them. Right, they're going to let it go and the U.S. dollar is going to be the beneficiary. Well, let's explain to viewers why yeah. it's killing them. And yeah. so what's happening is as their currency is appreciating, their goods and services that are being produced in China and sold around the world have become more expensive as a result of that appreciating currency. That's right. So as we all know, um, there, was a, there was a labor arbitrage between U.S. labor rates and Chinese labor rates. And the, the open, the free and open global economy, call it free trade, uh, enabled that arbitrage to, to normalize itself. And this phenomenon helped normalize it quicker, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so China's effective exchange rate moving up versus the rest of the world made their goods and services a little bit more expensive each year. And now it's kind of that labor arbitrage is gone. And if that labor arbitrage is gone and they their banking system has expanded 400% seven years without a non-performing loan cycle. My view is that we're gonna see a non-performing loan cycle. So, so Jim Chanos was on the show a few months back, very negative on China mm. because of many of the things that you're saying. Are you short China? Well, so we're not short Chinese equities per se, but we are, um, we're very uh, invested in the Chinese currency. Uh, given this thesis, we think you're going to see a pretty material devaluation. Okay. And we think it's gonna be in the next 12 to 18 months. Are you supporting anybody in the upcoming election? To elect Hillary is going to be really tough, although I might think she might be the most um, fit to govern the country. Feeling good about Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, or Amgen? They're all components of XLV, the healthcare sector spider ETF, which includes over 50 healthcare and biotech stocks in the S&P 500 to help add diversification and minimize single stock risk. Why invest in a single healthcare stock when you can own the entire healthcare sector of the S&P 500? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Go to sectorspiders.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. Visit us on the web at sectorspiders.com. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need problem-solving skills. I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. 
But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. You can join millions of Americans turning off the old media for Newsmax TV. We're in over 40 million homes on DirecTV Channel 349, Dish Channel 223, and Verizon Fios Channel 115. And we're available online at NewsmaxTV.com or on Roku and Google TV. Plus, you can watch us anywhere in the world. Just download our free Newsmax TV app from your iPhone or Android. Do it today and find out why millions are tuning in. Newsmax TV. For real news, better talk. Wall Street Week is sponsored in part by Morgan Stanley, where capital creates change. Now it's time to get personal and learn a little more about Kyle Bass and Ricky Sandler. From football to spearfishing, there's more to these guys than just money management. Are you supporting anybody in the upcoming election and, and will the election have any impact on the markets? Elections always have impact on markets. I think the macro forces uh, are going to overcome that of any of the potential election outcomes. I'm not supporting anyone. I think we have, um, I think we have a little bit of a of a of a Hollywood, you know, um, uh, crew on the on the Republican side and on the Democratic side. I really just think it's Hillary. I think that to elect Hillary is going to be really tough. Although I might think she might be the most um, fit to govern the country, given her experience. Kyle, we'd like to finish up with a little bit of word association, so I'm going to say a couple words. I want to get your reaction. Whatever comes do I, to do your I mind. Do I get to see the words first? Yeah. Uh, favorite book? I really enjoy this book that Michael Oren wrote called Power, Faith, and Fantasy. Yeah, written about 10 years ago about the Middle East, historical reference of the Middle East. And, and how the Middle East and the conflict with the United States mm -hmm. uh, really began at the, at the, when our founding fathers yep. founded our country. All right, yeah. Texas. Uh, a big state. The Second Amendment. Yeah, Second Amendment is a good follow to that. Yeah. It, there are plenty of things wrong with, with the gun laws, in my opinion. For anyone to be able to go buy a 50 caliber rifle uh, that can take down an airplane, um, today, you can walk into a gun store, you can buy something that has a bullet about that big, that big around, and sit at the end of a runway and take a plane down. Maybe we should con reconsider that uh, as far as the right to bear arms. I think that every single person that buys a gun should have to register with the state and the government. I mean, that's not a crazy idea, and that's something that the gun lobby would is fighting right, so, uh, so let's, to govern let, now, Let's so. switch abruptly. Favorite vacation spot? Um, the Bahamas. What's a day off? I mean, I love I love reading and spearfishing. Those are the two things I love doing and, and hanging out um, in the wine country. Okay, what about uh, Michael Lewis? Uh, I think Michael Lewis uh, writes some interesting books and I think that um, in my interactions with him, uh, what I've noticed is hyperbole tends to sell books. Um, he has great stories and he's a great investigative journalist and then uh, he adds a little hyperbole in there and then uh, the book takes off. Okay. We're going to play word association. Okay. Uh, your favorite sport, is it football? To, to watch my favorite sport is probably football. To play my favorite sport is tennis. Favorite book? Uh, I like uh, Into Thin Air. Um, crack yeah, crack I, I, like, I like the Mount acting Everest. Mount that Everest. I, that was just the book that just spoke to me. Okay, so your favorite vacation spot, Hamptons or Aspen? Aspen. Why? Love the mountains, love the activity, biking, hiking. Uh, Wisconsin football. Man, I, I, I love Wisconsin everything. I'm a crazy fan. The person you admire the most? You know, I think, I think Bill Gates has been one of these 
entrepreneurial visionaries, built a business to something unbelievable, sort of defied the odds of what he did, then turned his life to, to charity and, and making the world a better place. It's a big statement that Warren yeah. Buffett allocated his philanthropy capital to Bill Gates. It just tells you about yeah. uh, what people think of uh, William Gates. Yeah. We want to thank Kyle Bass and Ricky Sandler for joining us today on Wall Street Week. That's it for today. You can check in with us all week at wallstreetweek.com. Until next Sunday, have a prosperous week. The preceding program was paid for and presented by Skybridge Media, LLC.